This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. We're thinking about changing the name of the show, by the way, like your thoughts. We're thinking about changing the name of the show to And More. What Do you you like that? I think it's got a nice ring to it. And It could be And More with Pat and Stu or whatever, you know. But And More being the main. And More being the main focus. Instead of Pat and Stu up there, it'd be And More. And More. What do you guys think? Thoughts? Anyone? No one yet. Sort of. Uh, so there you go. Uh, sort of. I think it'd be fun. And I think so too. Unique. And like, oh. it would be. It's a little more creative. It'd be like, hey, hey, there's uh, you got uh, Glenn, you got uh, you Buck, Dana, Buck, Dana, okay. and more, and more. And that would be us. And then we're actually in it. All right. Triple eight seven two seven Beck eight 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 seven two seven B E C K. Let's see. The uh, according to the latest polls, Hillary Clinton. Now, you know, Trump is leading by 27 points in this Monmouth poll, this national national poll. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say he wins the nomination. Then what? Uh, Hillary Clinton would crush him. <laughs> um, but well, that would, part of the poll is stupid. Yes, right. <laughs> losers did that part of the poll, right. and losers responded to that part of the poll. Thank you. Uh, the smart people re- were responding to this Monmouth poll, but not the Iowa Monmouth poll. Right. Just this Monmouth poll. But not that part of that poll uh, that showed that Hillary Clinton beat him by, by the m- widest margin of any candidate. Okay, I think I'm with you. Okay. On that, I, th- I think so. Idiots. Uh, Stupid losers voted <laughs> in that part of it. Clinton would also beat, uh, supposedly, the surging Ted Cruz, now leading by, uh, in Iowa, interestingly, retired neurosurgeon Ben Carson, who's falling behind in the GOP polls, and Marco Rubio are the ones who supposedly would both defeat Hillary. Uh, Clinton wins 50-40 over Trump. Uh, she beats, uh, let's see, among, among independent voters, uh, Democratic that backed Republican Mitt Romney, Clinton beats Trump 43-36. In a head-to-head against Cruz, Clinton leads 48-45. So, I mean, he can make that up. 
it's yeah, I mean, look, any of these, even Trump could make a legitimate argument that that, that he could make that up. Yeah, it could. It could yeah. totally happen. Um, good. The issue is he starts from the worst position possible. And for a guy who constantly touts the polls, he never mentions the fact that all of these polls show him losing worse than anyone else. That's because nobody outside the Republican Party thinks the guy is any good. Uh, you know, the independents. I mean, there, if you lose independence, what is it, 43, 36, you have absolutely no chance of winning the election because the, of the numbers true. of Democrats that are, in, that are mm -hmm. registered are higher than the, the number of Republicans. Um, it happens every single time. As a, I mean, Romney won independence and still lost the election. He actually won independence. Um, so that's problematic. You can't be losing independence. And uh, he's going to lose independence. He's obviously going to lose Democrats. I mean, I think... I mean, I don't think he would have, honestly, any chance. But, uh, you know, that's not to say that these polls would hold. Again, this is testing something that is so far away. It's just an interesting piece of information to get us through the day. That's all these things are worth at this point. I mean, you know, like, for example, Ben Carson in this poll is shown as beating Hillary Clinton. Now, look, I like Ben Carson. Um, you know, I, I, you know he, right now he's falling uh, um, apart in the Republican uh, polls. Uh, and again, uh, you know, whether he might be able to make a comeback, we'll see. But would Ben Carson really be the favorite against Hillary Clinton if, if the election started? I, I think the answer to that is probably no. no. Marco Rubio might have a better chance. He probably has the best chance um, as far as, uh, um, uh, you know, these particular guys who are in the lead in this poll show. Mm -hmm. I mean, Rubio might be able to actually beat Hillary Clinton. Um, and, and it depends on what you're voting on. Like, are you voting for the person you think is the best, who would be the best president? Or are you thinking of voting for the best the person you think would win? What's amazing to me with the Donald Trump stuff is it seems to be a lot of people are supporting Trump because they think he would have the best chance to win. Now, I don't vote that way. You know, you might, and that's totally, guess what? You get to do with, you know, with your vote whatever you want. I mean, you could vote whoever has the, the nicest hair, and you might think Donald Trump has the nicest hair. You could vote however you want for whatever reason. It's, if, you, if you pick hair, you've probably put more thought to it than the general electorate. So congratulations. Um, but when it comes down to who's going to have the best chance to win, without a doubt, Donald Trump has the worst chance. He is absolutely the longest shot to beat Hillary Clinton of the field. Even an unknown person has a better because Donald Trump has built inside of him. And this is not the case in the Republican primary, but in, with built into Donald Trump is a extreme distaste from most of the country. Now, in the Republican primary with 14 other candidates, he's got enough like to be able to kind of float around there and take the lead. Mm -hmm. um, and until these last couple of polls, even that. Uh, I mean, 40 percent is a legitimate number for a front runner to have right now um, and uh, for a national poll in a primary. That's a pretty good number. It's not great, but it's a good number. So, I mean, that's a pretty good. We've, he's only had a couple polls that have shown that. We don't know if that's going to last. We don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, but outside of the Republican primary, the guy is a complete disaster. He would, you know, I think he would lose by double digits. Um, at least high single digits to Hillary Clinton. And, and that's an absolute destruction in the Electoral, electoral College. Yeah, it, it, you know, I mean, I don't know how the guy has 4%, let alone 41%. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this last week has been a really good indication. Just on this poll that we're talking about, this Monmouth poll, last week, let me read you the exact quote. As I, as I printed it on my Facebook page this morning, this is the exact quote from Donald Trump 
last week on the Monmouth poll, which showed him trailing Ted Cruz in Iowa. So here's what he said. There is one poll, Monmouth. I never even heard Monmouth. What the hell is Monmouth? What is Monmouth? Explain it. I don't like Monmouth. That was his quote last week. This week, what does Donald Trump say about Monmouth? He sends out this uh, campaign uh, email that says, I wanted to be the first to share the latest national poll results from the highly respected Monmouth University. <laughs> and then he goes on to brag about being up 41 to 14 percent. I mean, it's, is he how that is a bit at this point. Like, is, yeah, this, is, is, is there enough self-awareness in Donald Trump? And I don't know. This is a high hurdle. But is he just doing this intentionally to no, know he's that he's contradicting no. himself? No. No. I don't think so. That's amazing. I, it is amazing. Because I mean, it was not like that was six months ago when we're pulling out a quote that he may have forgotten. Yeah, it's it was not yesterday. Like it was 1978. Yeah. It was For like the love of heaven. two days ago, three days ago. What kind of flip? What kind of flop? As again, I asked this on my Facebook page. Would it take for a supporter of Donald Trump to change their mind? For somebody who's really hardcore on him, for one of these Trump bots who defend him no matter what, just like an Obama supporter defends him no matter what, what would it take? Is there anything he could say or do that would change your mind? Is there anything? Because there are plenty of things that Ted Cruz could do to lose my vote. I am not oh so God. married to him that I would never switch. I, he hasn't given me reason to. Mm -hmm. But if I found out that he has switched on every policy position in the last few years, used to be a Democrat, once <laughs> thought that health care was a birthright, uh, you know, all of these things still believed in um, eminent domain. I mean, no way would I vote for the guy. Yeah. No way. I, Matt Walsh, uh, one of the Blaze uh, writers uh, who uh, I guess you have to believe he's a liberal, too, because he doesn't seem to like Donald Trump that much. And, you know, Matt Walsh, hardcore liberal. Uh, but he was arguing with somebody today on Twitter that I, I, I saw uh, as I follow him, and he said something to the effect of, um, which I thought was interesting, um, if you support Trump, you uh, have to excuse a lot of things. You have to accept a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, you have to accept and excuse far less with Marco Rubio, for example. Like, and the same people will tell you Marco Rubio is this establishment con liberal. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Marco yeah. Rubio right. does have a couple of policies I don't like. But, you know. Not compared to not Trump. Not compared to Trump. I mean, Trump's got dozens of them. Mm -hmm. Dozens of them. Even the things I agree with Donald Trump on, he's disagreed with Donald Trump on. He's held the opposite position, sometimes more recently. I mean, you know, yeah. and a lot, he had got a lot of pushback from um, some conservative hosts uh, over the past couple of days. It was what he's trying to do with Ted Cruz. He, first of all, was critical of Antonin Scalia uh, in a total BS liberal argument um, that, the, that people at like Salon are making about, uh, mm -hmm. about Antonin Scalia, that he was somehow racist. And we can get into that in more depth later on. But he was not racist. He was quoting something else, A. And B, uh, he was not talking about... He's talking about black students who got into uh, college because of affirmative action, meaning in a normal case, if they were white, they would not get into the college. But because they were black, uh, they were elevated and able to get into the college. He asked a question, quoting a brief that said, hey, wait a minute, uh, would they be better off if they couldn't get into that college anyway? Would they be better off going to a college that they could get into without the benefit of their skin color? That is a very... This is not a hateful argument by any means. It's something that was in the briefs. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so he asked that. Trump comes out, takes the, the, the salon.com viewpoint that it was completely racist and he hates it and he, because he loves African-Americans and he has African-Americans who work for him. So then you've got that. You've got, in addition to that, he's backing corn subsidies in Iowa. Now think about what this is. A bunch of your tax dollars given to farmers in Iowa to make corn so we can put it into our fuel for an inefficient, non-market-based, uh, uh, non-environmentally beneficial product. Like, the most liberal position you can take, a position uh, that's just ridiculous if you're an actual conservative, and then saying Ted Cruz is bad, he's a maniac because he went in and, and took on Mitch McConnell. It's just another thing. And so people like Levin and, and Rush, who have been, you know, not backing Trump by any means, but have been more, more nicer to him than we have, let's put it that way, uh, more accepting uh, of of uh, Trump and just saying, like, I think they like that he mixes it up and he gets in the middle of it. I mean, you know, we played a clip from Levin from 2011 who's absolutely wrecking the guy on his policies. Um, and that's, of course, true. So what happens now? The Trump people today are coming out. Are they going to go and just bail and say, you know what? Yeah, Matt Walsh is liberal and Pat and Stu and Glenn and Jeffy are liberal and uh, Dana Lash is liberal and Michelle Malkin's liberal. And uh, let's see who else uh, now uh, Rush Limbaugh and Mark Levin are liberal. <laughs> I mean, who's nuts here? And it's not us. Uh, if you're making that argument in your head, you're crazy. You're a crazy person. And that's where you need to be yeah. to support Trump at this point, if you're a conservative. Now, as Rush and I believe Levin both pointed out in the extended clips that we didn't get to on radio today, uh, his support doesn't come from conservatives largely. His support comes from moderates and independents. And I can't remember, I think it may have been Levin or I can't remember if it was Levin or Rush in one of the clips, but pointed out something great, which is Trump's profile in a lot of ways is the profile that the GOP always says they want. Someone who can pull from independents. Mm -hmm. Someone who can pull. Now, I... I don't know. I mean, in the polling, you don't see that uh, when it comes to a general election. But you do see a lot of moderates and liberal Republicans who like this guy. So uh, I don't know why they have such a problem with him. Uh, but, you know, I do understand why a conservative would have a problem with him. And that's been our argument from the beginning. It's not a, as much as I don't like a lot of the things Donald Trump does as far as, you know, you know kind of being a cartoon character. You know, calling everybody a loser and, and like that stuff doesn't appeal to me. You know, I, I want someone who could come out and make an intellectual argument that's based on something. Even if it, I mean, even if it's something you heard on the street, at least it's based on something. It's not just made up from whole cloth like Donald Trump has done many times. That stuff I don't like, but that's not even the argument I'm making against <clears throat> Donald Trump. The argument against, I'm making against Donald Trump is he is not conservative. He is a progressive. He's a big government guy. He's a guy who wants all of the power because he believes he could do better than you. That is a progressive. That is something we fought on against this program and on the radio show for a long freaking time. I'm not going to accept it. People are like, well, why don't you shut up about Trump? I'm sick of hearing you talk about Trump all the time. No. You know when I'll talk, uh, stop talking about Trump is when he's gone. That's when I'll stop talking about him. Because <laughs> until then, the future of our country is at risk. Yes. I'm not going to shut up because you don't like to hear the truth. No. And here's the truth. You ready for it? Yeah. He's astonishingly healthy. I mean, if he what? were elected, he'd be the healthiest president ever of all time. <laughs> Astonishingly healthy He's, is what this man is. Really? Yeah, this is from his physician, his personal physician, who writes, to whom it may concern, after the checkup. 
I have been the personal physician of Mr. Donald J. Trump since 1980. His previous physician was my father, Dr. Jacob Bornstein. Over the past 39 years, I'm pleased to report that Mr. Trump has had no significant medical problems, has had a recent complete medical examination, showed only positive results. There's nothing negative about this guy, and yet you continue to harp on him, Stu. Why? There's nothing negative at all. He's only yeah. positive. Yeah. Actually, his blood pressure, 110 over 65, and lab results were astonishingly excellent. Astonishingly <laughs> excellent. This is, this is an employee of Donald Trump, isn't it? Oh, I mean, you yeah. can absolutely can hear, it. hear it. Over the past 12 months, he has lost at least 15 pounds. Mr. Trump takes 81 milligrams of aspirin daily and a low dose of uh, statin. His PSA test score is 0.15, very low. His physical strength and stamina are extraordinary. You know what I think this guy might be? S Superman. I think he might be Superman. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I so think he might from be Krypton? from the planet Krypton. Mm. Uh, Mr. Trump has suffered no form of cancer, has never had a hip knee or shoulder replacement or any other orthopedic surgery. Neither have I. Does that mean I can be president? Mm. Have you? Have you had, no. have you had, let's see, cancer? No. No, no thankfully, no. Hip, knee, Shoulder replacement? No, they're all the same ones I had when I was born. Okay. Uh, he's no history, has no history of, okay, his only surgery was an appendectomy. Same with me. His was at 10, mine was at 18. He has no history of ever using alcohol or tobacco products. We have so much in common. I could be, I'm in extraordinary health. Is it true? Donald Trump has never had alcohol? I don't know. That's amazing. Of every, and he says, no history of ever using, using alcohol. Now, a lot of Does people not don't drink smoke, but I mean, a guy who's right. living in New York City in who's, socialite who's sort of circles, Mormon. who's, who's not, not Mormon, Mormon and not religious at all, let's be honest about it, has right. no Except religion. for the special Bibles that he has in The special Bibles, place. yeah, that's true. And of course, you know, he, he, he certainly has the religious, uh, uh, you know, chops to be able to criticize Ted Cruz's faith and Ben Carson's faith. But mm -hmm. he himself is not religious at all. Um, even his church is like, uh, yeah, we, he's not a member here. I don't, I don't know why he's saying that. <laughs> so, uh, so that, but he gets to do that. But he's lived the whole life. I'm not saying it's impossible. Like Penn Gillette is a guy who's lived in Las Vegas mm -hmm. um, and uh, has lived in you know, circles where he certainly could be partying pretty hard. He's a libertarian, has no cause, not religious, yeah, and does not partake. In, in, and he says he's never had a drink. And with him, I believe it because he's such an ideologue. And I say that as a, a supreme compliment to, to, to Penn uh, Gillette. It's not, a, it's not a wreck in my world. Uh, an ideologue means you actually have a system of beliefs and care about them and thought them out. Okay? Yeah. What Donald Trump is not is an ideologue. He's not a liberal ideologue or a conservative ideologue. He's whatever's in front of his fat face ideologue. Yeah. Uh, except yeah. he's not fat. He's... Um, He's lost 15 pounds in magnificent. He's extraordinarily excellent. But you're, is that true? Could you? Is that? I don't know. I mean, that's amazing. It's know. interesting. I've never heard that before. It's interesting true. if that's true. Yeah. Triple eight seven two seven. Back much more, and we've got the uh, debate coming up tonight too. So we'll get into that. As oh well. yeah, we should probably talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm interested. By the way, uh, if you want to get prepared uh, for uh, something that could go wrong, whatever it might be, you can get a two-week emergency food supply for only fifty bucks. As a parent. Uh, this is something that I think starts to hit home more as you get older. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, you know. Was, Glenn used to make fun of me when I first started working for him because I started working for Glenn when I was, I think, twenty, and uh, you know, it was uh, I was not prepared mm -hmm. for anything. Like not even like for condiments for the meal I ordered, I wasn't prepared. Uh, he used to make fun of me because I, the only thing I had was soy sauce and duck sauce. 
in my house. And that was because, you know, when you order Chinese food, they give you so many, I just stuff a bunch in my drawer. For next time. For next time. Of course, you never you use them. They just pile up. Yeah. Um, so that was my only preparation. As you get older, you have kids, and you realize, holy crap, I might want to actually prepare some for food. something. Uh, you know, this is where my Patriot Supply makes a lot of sense. And for two yeah. weeks of food for only 50 bucks, it's pretty amazing. And it's an offer that's only available if you call 888-893-7953 right now. There's a limit of two per household. But it's a two-week supply for 50 bucks, and that includes the shipping, too. So call them right now, 888-893-7953. Get yourself and your family prepared. 888-893-7953. My Patriot Supply. This podcast brought to you by My Patriot Supply. Did you miss the chance to get a 72-hour emergency food supply with free shipping for just 10 bucks? What's wrong with you? Don't worry. Call 888-411-7440 right now. They have a few left, and they're selling out fast. 888-411-7440. What are you waiting for? A disaster? Do it right now. 888-411-7440. Uh, we've got a Trump health update here. Um, he is, the, the doctor further quotes, he's formidably well, has uh, satisfactory longevity, okay, um, and is healthy enough to live to at least 140 years. <laughs> what? I am not exaggerating. <laughs> he's uh, healthy enough to live to 140? All right. Uh, okay. Actually, no. Uh, a quick correction. This is about Fidel Castro in 2004. Oh, okay. did I not tell? It sounded like it sounded a, like the same thing. It's the exact same doctor, sounded probably the same, like the same deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? He's going to live to 140 years old. If because I, I love that uh, the the Trump doctor is like, well, look, he's the, the healthiest guy ever, and, and I'm I know this because I've been his doctor since 1980. Now think about that for a second. Being someone's personal doctor since 1980, a billionaire's personal doctor since 1980. Yeah, this guy's been taken care of, right? right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, this guy has had, he's lived a good life. Yeah. Then he points out my dad was his previous physician. Right. So this guy has been probably helped by this by Trump. This For about fam- 40 years. <laughs> Nearly 40 freaking years. And so they've developed a close relationship by now. And you're right. I'm sure he's made a ton of cash. I mean, otherwise, <coughs> otherwise you go into private practice, right? Right. And, and you get a bunch of patients. But if you if you can afford to have only one... That would be kind of ideal. Mm. By the way, you know who else had a personal physician? Adolf Hitler. No, I'm just doing the salon.com's uh, job for today. <laughs> well, I figured since we're, we're already known as Trump uh, haters, I could just do that stuff now. Oh, but, uh, man. It's, it's true. It's true. It is. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting um, weird statement. Because he well, said so he was the healthiest of president ever. Like, how, you have an exam? Yeah, how does a doctor say that? You haven't examined any of the other p- presidential right. uh, candidates yeah, or, or make people that who've been president. It's just dumb. Statement. It doesn't make any sense. You know, and, and it's just like only someone who works for Donald Trump would say that. <laughs> 888-727-BECK, 888-727-BECK. Uh, last night, Glenn made the case that ISIS is the fruit of Barack Obama's labors. Wow. Now, it's, it seems like an incendiary thing <laughs> yeah, to say. Yeah, I would say yes. Uh, here's how he explained it. This is quite a charge because our policy supports ISIS, but I'm going to back it up, and I want you to share this with your friends. The DOD has just released classified documents 
They were declassified and they released them. It's an intel assessment from about the time of Benghazi. It is a snapshot of how this administration viewed the Middle East at the time, what they thought would happen, and what our plan was. And they had three goals, and I want to show them to you. The first one, development of the current events into a proxy war. With support from Russia, China, and Iran, the regime is controlling the areas of influence. Current events, they're referring to the Arab Spring, and then the Syrian war, the Syrian civil war, and what has happened. Syria has developed into a full-on proxy war, with Russia and Iran siding with Assad against the West. So, first step, mission accomplished for Team Obama. Second one, they said, uh, opposition forces trying to control the eastern areas adjacent to the western Iraq provinces, in addition to neighboring Turkish borders, blah, blah, blah. Okay, got it? What are they saying here? They're saying that the Gulf states, Turkey, are supporting these efforts. The opposition forces... What are the opposition forces? The opposition forces ends up being ISIS, and they were spot on. What was their plan? Not to defeat it, but to harness them and use them for regime change. We supported their efforts. Our policy was to actually support and harness ISIS in order to get what we wanted, which was a sought out. I got to tell you something. Every liberal in this country that has ever said anything bad about this nation and says that we get involved in other people's crap and we're trying to control other people, this is an example and it is in documents from the DOD. This is obscene, what we're doing. Three in the documents. If the situation unravels, there is the possibility of establishing a declared or undeclared Salafist principality in eastern Syria. And that's exactly what the supporting powers of the opposition want. In order to isolate the Syrian regime, which is considered the strategic depth of Shia expansion Iraq and Iran. Let that sink in. What are they saying? The intel community, again, spot on. They need credit for this. They've been getting a bad name. They're right. The undeclared Salafist principality in Syria, that's ISIS. They control parts of Syria just like they predicted. And the policy was to support them. Incredibly, ISIS running roughshod all over Syria and Iraq is exactly what this administration wanted. ISIS is the fruit of the Obama administration's labor. Let that sink in and, and spread the word and show the document. ISIS is the fruit of this administration. They wanted an extremist Islamic group fighting Assad, and that is what has happened. Look at what's happened since ISIS has arrived. They have not been destroyed. They have not been contained. Team Obama would like you to believe that ISIS caught them by surprise, but in reality, they saw ISIS coming. They said that, all oh, their junior league will be able to use them in a proxy war, and the consequences have been devastating. The human toll is immense. Would Paris have happened if we had destroyed ISIS rather than contained them? We are reaping what this out-of-control, immoral administration is sowing. The president prefers ISIS contained. Why? Because they are a pawn in their own documents for him to get what he wants, Assad out, and to have a proxy war with Iran and Russia. It is shocking, it is infuriating, it is damn near criminal, but it is the truth according to their own documents.
That's a pretty freaking that's a, good that's case. A solid, solid. Now, when he first said it, I thought, ah, come on, yeah. you might be going a little. Because he's that's not, a solid case. Because when you say solid case. Obama created ISIS, what you feel is he's a terrorist. Right. That's not the accusation not he, here. No. The accusation here is that he had other priorities in the region, so he funded these groups to try to get those priorities done. And in, even in, in, he didn't inadvertently create it, but it inadvertently went bad. Is it not the accusation? That all the liberals, all the left makes against, uh, made against George W. Bush and Ronald Reagan and everybody else who is conservative mm -hmm. and who has meddled in the affairs of other nations, mm -hmm. like Iran, like uh, uh, the pictures of Donald Rumsfeld shaking the hand of Saddam Hussein. Right. Um, those that, well, what do they do? They just said they, they created this. Uh, the Contras. Yep. The we, Sandinistas. We funded uh, Osama bin Laden to fight against the Russians. Uh, that mean, was the same accusation. On and on so and on and on. But they don't care in this case. They don't care. They couldn't care less. No, no. Uh, we're meddling into things that they shouldn't be meddling in. We're creating situations and problems for the, the region and the world that were, uh, you know, unintended consequences that always happen from these things. And they're totally silent. They don't care. They don't care. Yeah. I why? Mean, because he's a Democrat. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, again, this is another point in the favor of uh, the Rand Paul sort of view of foreign Get affairs. Get out of Yeah. Man, I, it's it. like, it's Stay like out of it. let's, let's take the best look at Obama with ISIS for a second here. He wants Assad out. Assad's a very bad person, very bad dictator. You can understand that being a goal of a president who's a good president. Mm -hmm. I want Assad out. Mm -hmm. So what does he do? He doesn't want to get involved in a war, which, again, we would say, well, we don't want to go invade Syria and kick Assad out. He doesn't want to get in a war. So he does these little kind of behind-the-scenes things, funds some groups, tries to get them to do it, and then creates ISIS. Now, because those people aren't good. Now, you could say, well, he should have picked the right people. But it's hard to pick the right people. It is actually really difficult to find, find the right ones, um, especially when you're trying to dissect different sects of Islam and different groups with inside of that sect. It, it is a difficult process. So if you look at it from the best possible perspective, it just shows you shouldn't be doing these things at all. And the worst right. possible perspective is it's reckless um, and it's all about Obama and what he wants. And he doesn't really care what the consequences are when it comes down to it. He's reckless with, uh, you know, with people's lives in that region. He really is. Yeah, no doubt. Triple eight, seven, two, seven back. More Pat and Stu coming up. And no Jeff, because he's he's at home. He's actually now posting surgery pictures of himself on the Internet. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, like, hey, here are my cuts. Uh, wonderful, Jeffy. No, seriously. Continue to do that so I can see it in my feed. Ugh. Do. Uh, hey, this is kind of cool. We did a little research, found a picture of uh, Trump's doctor. There he is. <laughs> it's kind of fun. That Dr. Nick. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Uh, you would not believe the geeky Star Wars talk going on behind the scenes here today. It's, uh, it's extraordinary. Thursday, we're going to do, because um, Pat and I have both been watching uh, all of the previous movies, and we're going to do a, a list of um, 
maybe best to worst. Best to worst, and uh, some observations about uh, the the films uh, mm -hmm. to get you prepared for the uh, for the weekend when you can watch uh, the brand new Star Wars uh, movie. Um, which, by the way, uh, Justin um, just told us the first thing that happens. We're not going to tell you because we actually like you. Okay? He obviously doesn't like anyone else because he keeps telling everybody what the first words on the screen are, like an idiot. How does, who does that, that? How do you know, Justin? Who does that? We've waited what a thousand years for this stupid movie. You haven't seen it already, have you? No, I read it. Buzzfeed. Oh, you read about it? Okay. Stupid. Um, come on, Buzzfeed. But it go back to, to your cupcake recipes for a second. <laughs> Forty-eight things you can't say to your plumber. <laughs> Till he leaves the house. Um, so we, we got to talking about re Revenge of uh, Return of the Jedi. And that's, that's the thing with uh, Stu. Always has been. He doesn't like the movie. Uh, or you think it's overrated. I think it's definitely the most overrated of the series. The part I hate about it are the Ewoks. As every adult human being mm -hmm. uh, who was over 14 at the time, probably over 7, at when, the time. when did it come out? 83? 83. I was, I was, I was seven. You were seven. And okay. did not like the Ewoks. Okay, even then? Yeah. At seven years old? Did not like the Ewoks. Obviously, the Ewoks were directed uh, right at three, four, five, and six <laughs> right. year olds. A, curry, a, a furry thing that I can make a lot of merchandise. That was mm -hmm. the, the criticism of it at the time, which was like, oh, yeah. they just Disneyfied it. Now, of course, the, Disney owns it, and they're going to actually make it good, hopefully. Hopefully. We'll see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The early indications are, because they had the premiere last night in Los Angeles. So a bunch of people have seen it now at the uh, Chinese theater in, in Los Angeles. They closed off a four-block uh, area of the, I guess it's Hollywood Boulevard. Mm -hmm. Is that what that is right there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it so. is. Yeah. And, uh, and, so, and they, they closed it off starting Friday or Thursday. And so it was closed all weekend long while they prepared the thing, and then a bunch of people saw it last night. And universally, everything I've seen has been good and really positive yeah, on it. Yeah, I'm staying the hell away from those articles, though. I don't want because yeah, there's going to be teasers. Somebody and, will tell you something. Yeah, I don't want to know. I don't I, either. I, you know, They've done such a great job of keeping it quiet what this thing mm. is about. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, 888-727-BECK. Uh, we talked a little bit about Rush and the statements on uh, Trump that they've ra raised red flags for conservative, conservative voters, obviously. I mean, everything, as far as I'm concerned, everything Donald Trump has done uh, over the really span of his lifetime should have been red flags for conservative voters. But uh, it's nice to have Rush on board with this, and, and uh, Mark Levin apparently is a little bit fed up with him right now, too, and, and frustrated with him. Um, but uh, something kind of interesting that, that came out, Yesterday, and we didn't get to it, is the Washington Post end of the year list. The biggest lies of the year for 2015, and one that they listed that really surprised me was hands up, don't shoot. In fact, that was their headline lie. Mm. Hands up, don't shoot, which was such a massive lie. And there it was. I mean, it, it spawned a movement. Hands up, don't shoot. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And they, they note that it started in August of last year, but it continued into the first six months or so of this year. And, and so they listed it among this year's biggest lies. And I think I actually did a pretty good job with this list. There's some on there they that did a pretty good job. were wrong. Yeah. Um, well, the Huckabee thing on, uh, on climate change yeah. was they were, yeah. they were wrong on that. Yeah. Do, can, Lee, I have that whole lead. I have the... Uh, that whole article on my desk. Would you mind grabbing it real quick? It's the whole list of uh, all the uh, 
uh, lies of the year from Washington Post. Hillary, uh, uh, Hillary is mentioned a few times. One yeah. is that DOMA had to be, the Defense of Marriage Act had to be enacted to stop an anti-gay marriage amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Yes, yeah, that's been their retroactive what? argument on gay marriage. What? So Bill Clinton passes DOMA, which is the Defense of Marriage Shut Act, up. which is a conservative, uh, in principle, law, which says, hey. Uh, you know, you we support traditional. We marriage. support traditional marriage, and this happened under, a, you know, a, a, here, a Democrat. Thanks. Um, a, under a Democrat, and obviously not just a Democrat, but the husband of the person running for president. Mm -hmm. So their retroactive argument is, well, we only did that because if we didn't do it, uh, conservatives were going to pass a constitutional amendment on gay marriage, and then we'd never get it through. So it was kind of like this retroactive justification of their actions because now it's trendy to like gay marriage uh, when it, then it was trendy not to. Uh, kind of an interesting thing they've tried to do there. The Washington Post calls them out on it. Yeah. Uh, they say there is little evidence in the public record that that was the case. Even though Clinton claimed there was enough political momentum at the time to amend the Constitution. That's a flat-out lie. In 1994, that's a flat-out uh, verifiable lie. If you try, at least they mentioned it. It's interesting. If you tried to pass a constitutional amendment in the, 19, in the 90s, maybe it would have gone through. Maybe, but probably more like it's the 70s no uh, or the 60s, it would have been a better uh, target for that. But there was no one trying to do it, really, because right. it was so not talked about as a possibility. Uh, no, you know, nobody so was they, into they, that. they did do the Defense of Marriage Act because that was supposed to be enough because you had constitutions of states. Mm -hmm. um, now, there, to say that there was nobody who ever thought of that, I mean, I don't know if that's true, but certainly the Clinton There was did. not momentum to get at a constitutional amendment. You know how much momentum you have to have? That's hard. That's almost impossible. Um, so, uh, then there's this from uh, Senator Chris Mur Murphy, a uh, Democrat from Connecticut. Since Sandy Hook, there has been a school shooting on average every week. Dumb. No. Not true at all. Not true. And fortunately, you know, the anti-gun Washington Post mm -hmm. admits that's a lie. And by the way, they did the same thing with Marco Rubio's claim. I, I, yeah. I, I think if I yeah. was going to say that what is the best fact checker out there, because um, you have like PolitiFact, for example, is one of them out there. There's a bunch of these organizations that popped up. The Washington Post actually does a pretty good job with this. Out of out of the organizations that try oh, better than PolitiFact, way far, better than PolitiFact, far. Uh, you know, um, uh, FactCheck.org was one of the first ones to do it, and I don't see a lot of their stuff anymore. I don't um, and they were they did some good things. I liked them. At, you know, some mm -hmm. of the stuff they did. But I mean, this is a, this list is interesting. Let's go through it real quick. Mm -hmm. do, we, do we have time? Uh, Donald Trump. Um, I watched that. These are the worst lies of the year. I watched thousands of Muslims. A New Jersey cheers. The World Trade Center fell. I happen to be that's, reading a um, more an exaggeration than a lie. I, ha I happen to be reading a, uh, a particular Facebook page last night. Uh, where the, I had thumbed thumb up to this one Facebook page, uh, <laughs> Pat Gray's Facebook page, and you were discussing this, and you said mm -hmm. kind of that. It's more of an exaggeration than a lie. Mm -hmm. And I, 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 you're right because there were reports of some people. Uh, Backed by police in the area, by yeah, the way. Yeah. You said they saw people on rooftops celebrating, but it was tens of people. It was people. tens of people. Not the thousands. issue, I would say, what, that makes it a lie is he said he saw video of it. Yeah. So 
But he could have conflated the video right. he saw from the Palestinian territories or right. Egypt or whatever. But if, with he, this. if he did that, he could have admitted it, and he and refuses to do yes, that. So I right. think this is a fair. I mean, because you're right, it did happen. It just happened in much smaller scale, mm -hmm. um, and he lied about the video. I mean, he, right. he, he. I think he just saw the Palestinian video and, and screwed it up in his head, which is I not, think so too. It's not yeah. a horrific mistake. But no, it's not. He, he just won't admit to it because he can't admit and it. And it's not that big a deal to no. to admit to something like that. And you can no. say, okay, yeah, I, you know, I saw the. I remember the report. Thing. I remember yep. Yep. that. And then I, I mixed that up with New Jersey. So, But it did happen. There were just a few people here in New Jersey. Right. But there were people doing it. It's still a legitimate It's point. still legitimate. Right. Um, okay, so that's one on the, on the list. They're not in any order. Uh, DOMA, as you pointed out, had to be enacted to stop anti-gay marriage amendment. That's, a, that's a, again, one really you wouldn't expect one. the Washington Post to call no, out. And they do. Wouldn't. Uh, the Mexican government is forcing criminals, drug dealers, and rapists in the United States. Now, we do know, we do know that some have come across. Mm -hmm. the, the, the odd thing I have always thought about Donald Trump's claim on this is not that uh, some illegal immigrants are criminals. In fact, we know that to be true with the illegal part in there. And that they don't commit some violent crimes, which they do. The idea that Mexico is forcing them into the country mm -hmm. is something that there's never been any basis for. He just says it. Yeah. Um, and, I, and that's why they called it a lie. And that's why they called it a lie. And I think that's legitimate. Um, Chris Murphy, as you pointed out, um, said 128 school shootings. The number uh, comes from every town for gun safety, which if you follow Dana Lash on Twitter, uh, you will see them get lit up uh, every day uh, by her because they are hor a horrible pro-gun uh, control organization, and they just lie constantly. Um, number came from anti-gun group uh, every town for gun safety, but its methodology deeply flawed, including, in this is how bad they are, including suicides. Now, come on. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking Suicides about that shooting. happen to happen, um, accident. that happen to take place at school. Yeah, and some of them, if I remember this list correctly, they happen in the general area of a school. Um, you know, so again, uh, horrible. Um, uh, Obama plans to admit 250,000 Syrian refugees. Donald Trump first said President Obama um, planned to admit 200,000 Syrian refugees. A, fi a figure conjured out of thin air. Then it became 250,000. The real figure is 10,000. The uh, United States is only planning to admit 180,000 refugees from all countries in the next two years. So, again, like, that's just one of his... Yeah, it's, a, it's an exaggeration yeah. of I an mean, actual fact. But a really bad exaggeration, really just bad. like the Muslim uh, thing dancing. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a really bad exaggeration. Um, with Al Gore, I helped organize the first hearings in, uh, in the Senate on climate change in 1988 from John Kerry. Kerry. He had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Um, That's akin to Al Gore's, uh, I took the initiative and created the, in, the Internet in 1972. Really? Did you? And the answer to that is mm, no, he did not. No, not at all. No. Uh, next up, um, uh, science on climate change. This is one I, you know, I thought this was a bad job. This one pisses me off. Uh, science on climate change is not settled because in the 1970s we were worried about global freezing. Now, that's Mike Huckabee's telling of that tale. First of all, I would say that's not a great argument as to why the climate change no. is not settled. However, but that's it's a generally true statement. Generally true. It wasn't complete consensus. Not everyone was on board. No. But it was not. And it, th their argument here says a couple, there were um, uh, isolated examples of speculative journalism. That's, that's just not accurate. No. There are uh, hundreds of stories of people who were talking about it at the time. Um, uh, it was not speculative journalism. There were real scientists who were really on board thinking Many. that global cooling was a real problem. It was a big enough deal that both Time and Newsweek did stories in 74 and 75 on it. Yeah, and, and, and they were big stories, but it they wasn't just... They were not cover stories. So yeah. don't go looking for the cover stories of Newsweek and Time and then tell everybody that here... Because they exist, they're fakes. 
Okay, so the there's... OS cover story yeah, graphics. Yeah, yeah the Newsweek and Time cover story photos or whatever, somebody conjured that up on the internet. And they, they did a convincing job of it. It looks like they were Time and Newsweek covers. They weren't. These were not cover stories, but they were stories in the two magazines. Yeah, I mean... Uh, okay? So, I mean, it's a, it's a small difference, but it's a difference. Uh, yeah, and it's, so it's something you can point out, and, and it's mm -hmm. interesting to point out. But, I mean, there are a lot of stories. I mean, I've personally seen probably 50 of them. And, they're, you know, they're just, you know, a lot of them telling the same stories because that's what they were talking about. That was the thing at the time. You can also look back and look at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories of people worried about global warming, not related to CO2, from, like, the 1920s. Yeah. Um, you know, it... It, they did actually believe this was a big problem. Yeah, the they time. did. I mean, th there was a huge CIA report that came out and said, uh, "We are. This is a serious issue. We need to figure out what the heck to do about it." The CIA. Um, <laughs> this was not a just a, a, a couple of articles. This was a. It, it's not to say that it was complete consensus. Some people have looked back at studies and, and said that global warming was also being talked about at the time, which they mentioned here. Um, but it was a lot. It was a lot of media mm -hmm. attention and a lot of scientists at the time. Major organizations really thought this was going to happen. That doesn't mean that you can automatically, and this is why I don't like Huckabee's framing of this, doesn't mean you can dismiss everything they believe today. Obviously, there's always been mistakes in science. But A, you approach it with more skepticism. Mm -hmm. And B, you look at the data they have today, which has shown these computer models that have been wrong. Right. It's today's data that shows why there shouldn't be consensus. Um, and it, so I didn't really like Huckabee's framing of it. But that's a tough one to put in the, the, the lies of the year because I thought so. while it, no, it was not complete consensus at the time, it was a big argument being made by actual scientists and very mm -hmm. prominent in the media. It was not a couple of isolated mm -hmm. examples of speculative journal journalism. Um, auto dealer markups cost consumers $26 billion a year. I'd never even heard this one. There's Elizabeth Warren, though. Elizabeth yeah. Warren, uh, one of the lies. And Obama never says the United States is an exceptional or great. Now that's, he does that's a bit of a stretch yeah. by Rudy Giuliani, uh, but it's kind of true. O Obama has rarely said the United States, when he has said it's exceptional, he said it's exceptional like Great Britain is exceptional yeah. or the Netherlands or whatever he said. He, he does give it lip service here, and you there, know, but it's not. He, he has to, but he's never said we're, we're exceptional, and I fully believe that, and left it at that. He's not, uh, to, to my knowledge, he's never done that. Yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, well, anyway, we got to take a break. We're running yeah. really late. Triple Eight Seven Twenty Seven back. Maybe we'll run through the last few of these here in the next break. Uh, back in a second. Got no time. Uh, here's a couple of the more more lies of the Washington Post lies of the year. Keystone Pipeline is for oil that bypasses the United States from President Obama. Again, another good catch yeah. on that. That's a complete that lie. That's not what it's for. Um, a man was put in uh, prison for conspiracy just for having dirt on his land. I guess Rand Paul's been telling this story as a uh, kind of example of government overreach. Sort of a simplistic telling of it. Yeah, they say uh, the real man was convicted of mail fraud, conspiracy, and environmental violations for his role in developing 67 mobile home lots inside of federally protected wetlands, building on wetlands without approval, and knowingly selling land with illegal sewage systems that were likely to fail. <laughs> okay, um, okay. Yeah, a little bit different. And then hands up, don't shoot. We talked about, and also they have a real long list of, of 
things that are bogus sex traffic, trafficking statistics. Oh, yeah, that say. was impressive that they included that. Yeah, there, like, for example, there are not 300,000 children at risk for sexual exploitation. There are not 100,000 children in the sex trade. Human trafficking wow. is not a $9.5 billion business in the United States. All fake. Um, they should have so. tackled the one in five oh, women are raped in college, that. too. That would have been nice. If you were throwing that BECK. It is Pat and Stu. Now, for days, we have uh, talked about looking forward to this middle class segment <laughs> on where the middle class has gone. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, on the season finale of The Wonderful World of Stu, Stu did a nice little segment on where the middle class has gone. And of course, they've all gone to the lower class. They've all become poor. They've well, yeah, more than that. Dirt. They're, they're all homeless. Poor. And homeless. All of them are homeless. They're all um, hobos. That was now. kind of their big reveal of the monologue. They call it the hobo class. Now, yeah, the hobo class. They're all hobos. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a and there, honestly, a lot of people are in the lower class of hobos. Uh, yeah. they, they didn't even go to yeah. the upper class of hobos. Uh, you know, with like the stick. So they don't even have the stick. No, with the, the little like sack bandana. on the on the end of it. No, they don't even have that. That's Jeez. unbelievable. Well, let's. Should we take a look at this uh, from the wonderful world of Stu and see how heart wrenching this? Can I be? guess if you want uh, to be to have your heart ripped out of your chest ripped directly uh, out, uh, then I guess you'll have to watch this. Okay. Did you know that all of our jobs are going away? Evil companies are shipping our jobs overseas. We don't make anything here anymore. And what used to be high-paying manufacturing jobs are now low-paying fast-food McJobby jobs. Everything in your life that you've come to depend on in this country has been destroyed by evil bastard businessmen. And because of all of this, the middle class is disappearing. If you didn't know that fact, here is every politician on earth available to tell you about it. Our middle class is shrinking. The middle class is the one they're getting absolutely destroyed. This country doesn't have, won't have a middle class very soon. The middle class of this country is disappearing. Usually I like to spend this time telling you why a widely made claim like this is wrong. However, this time I am here to tell you that they are all absolutely right. So I know it's a short show, but good night, everybody. Uh, uh, wait, 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 one, one minute. Hold on. One, one second. One, one minor issue. Uh, just so you know, the middle class can never actually disappear. There's always someone in the middle. If everyone made between $1 billion and $3 billion a year, the middle class would make $2 billion a year. Now that we've got that squared away, good night, everybody. Actually, there's, there's one more teensy-weensy problem. And it's a question every politician should be asked when they say the middle class is disappearing. Where are they going? 
Are they simply vanishing off the face of the earth? I mean, the statistics do clearly show that the middle class is disappearing. Look at this chart. In 1967, the middle class, who earned between $35,000 and $100,000 per year, represented 53.2% of U.S. household. And these numbers are all adjusted for inflation. But over the next 50 years, as you can clearly see, that number has dropped and dropped and dropped. Today, the middle class represents 41.6% of households. That means about a fifth of the middle class has disappeared. But it's time to ask my question, where did they go? Certainly politicians want you to believe that they went from the middle class to the lower class, to poverty, to homelessness. They're probably something much worse than homelessness. But now let's draw the 50-year line of lower-income households that made under $35,000 a year. In 1967, it was 38.7%. That line stayed flat for a while, but here comes the big increase in those horrible Jeffy-like conditions. Uh, wait, um, where is it? Hmm. Actually, those in the lower income category are now at 33.7%. That's a decrease, not an increase, a decrease of 5%. So I asked my question again. Yes, the middle class is disappearing, but where did they go? Here's the line of households making over $100,000 a year. Those evil, bastard rich people. In 1967, 8.1% of households were considered upper class. And that number has gone up and up and up and up. Now, 24.7% of households make over 100 grand. Once again, these numbers are adjusted for inflation, meaning that whenever you hear a politician complaining that the middle class is disappearing, what they're complaining about is the upper class tripling. So I asked my question for the final time. If the middle class is disappearing, where did they go? They went to Del Frisco's to celebrate their success on getting out of the middle class and into the upper class. God bless America. So to review, the middle class is disappearing. They are disappearing from the middle class into the upper class. Now for real, roll the credits, even though we don't actually have credits. Like all of these here, these are all fake names. I have a crew of like four people, including myself. So I don't know who any of these people are. <laughs> kind of amazing, isn't it? Oh, it is. And nobody will, nobody will articulate that in, in, the, in the national press. Nobody will articulate that in, in the uh, political class. Uh, is even Ted saying that? I don't, think I don't know that Ted Cruz is Well, because it makes you feel... It's, if you're in the middle class and, and, uh, and you want to... Or if you're in the uh, lower class, as far as earnings go, um, you don't like that fact. It's, it's insulting or something. I don't know. Uh, how could that be insulting? Look, the middle great. class is disappearing. Yes, they're going to the upper class. How tough is it? And also some of the lower class is going up uh, as well. To the upper class. Uh, because the, the class. upper class has gone from 8.1% to 24.7%. That's triple. And so that's great. That's a good thing. Great. And imagine what it could be if we actually unleashed the economy. It could be even more. I don't think there's any problem with that. I mean, you know, there's, wow. there's different ways to look at this, but I, 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 I tend to see that as a positive. I kind of do, no, too. I would like it to be 38% down to 
you know, one percent or zero percent for the for people earning under thirty five thousand dollars. You're never going to get mm-hmm. to there. Um, I would like it to be lower than thirty three percent. But it has just decreased. But it has decreased. We're going in the right direction, and the people in the middle class are actually earning more. That's a positive development, not a negative one. So, is there any other way to look at that? Like, is there a lower than lower class? Is there a? Those are the three classes. Right. I mean, there's a there's a there's a poverty level, but that would be included in the lower class, yep. right? Yeah, anything under 35k is uh, is in the lower uh, class. It's crazy. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's how do you look at it, at that as anything but positive? Yeah, it's it's really good. Now, you know, look, uh, it's uh, I, I think the answer to all of this is that it feels mm. really good for politicians to say that they're fighting for the middle class. It feels good. Mm-hmm. It feels like you know what everyone there's there's no one against the middle class. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you're saying you're fighting for uh, all people. They'll accuse you of liking the rich too much. Um, if you say you're going for poor people, and this has happened to candidates before, a lot of times people say, well, wait a minute, you're giving all of the money away to poor people. Uh, you know, this is the people that, could, you know, the reason why welfare reform was, was completed is partially that. People saw that and said, wait a minute, you, you can't just be giving money from people who are hardworking, middle-class people and push it into uh, the lower class. It's funny. So that's what they do. They just all, they all praise the middle class. When you ask people, are you in the lower, middle, or upper class, the overwhelming majority, it's like in the 90% area, all consider themselves to be middle class. Even when they don't make any money or they make a ton, they just consider themselves to be middle class for some reason. When you ask well, those questions. Well, we've been beaten to death yeah. that. We've been beaten to death so, that essentially those are the only good people. Yeah. Now, obviously, that, it's, and you, you never feel like you make enough money, right? No. So you always feel like, well, yeah, I do okay. I'm probably middle class. Even if you make $400,000 a year, you're probably thinking, eh, you know, I mean, I'm not rich. I'm not in the upper class. And that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Um, But if you live in New York, I mean, you make $400,000, you're doing okay. But you're not... You're you're not living high on the hog as a rule. I mean, you're, in, you don't have a pay in Manhattan for sure. In Manhattan, right? it's you know, but I mean, it's still a nice life. But you're not you're not living like Donald right. Trump or, or no. Paris Hilton. Now, if, you, um, if you're making you know ten million a year, then you're probably living more like that. Yeah, but it's weird that what people think of themselves, and and it's because we look at rich people in this country as being evil. They've been given things. They don't mm-hmm. care about the other people. Right. And then we look at poor people. As people who are have come on tough times and well, they just can't quite do it themselves and we need to help them. Well, people in those positions don't think that way. They don't think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in that. I, I just need to be helped. I can't do it myself. They think of themselves as I can do it. I've just come on you know, some tough times or mm-hmm. I'm going to make it in the future. Um, so no one considers themselves, uh, with very few exceptions, to be either poor or upper class. Right. Most people just think of themselves as middle class. Uh, because you know what? Most people are going out there and working every day. And these little stereotypes we've come up with, um, particularly you know, with rich people, is dumb. They're just stupid. Oh, well, they don't do anything. They're just big CEOs and they don't care. They're getting these golden parachutes. In reality, they're, they're busting their ass most of the time to make their money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a positive thing. Yeah, I, I've... Forget, I forget this statistic, but I've heard it several times about how many, how many wealthy Americans inherited their money. You know, because it's always presented as mm. if only the middle class and the lower class are hardworking. Well, my gosh, is, is there anybody who works harder than wealthy, successful people? As a rule, I, usually not. Usually, if you are at a level of success that has brought you millions of dollars, you really put your nose to the grindstone to get there. 
and you probably put in extra hours and you work uh, six or seven days a week and you, you don't spend enough time with your family and you've made sacrifices and, and maybe your family is one of the sacrifices. I mean, a lot of times the, the people who are successful are some of the hardest workers there are. Um, so I, I hate that term. Well, the hardworking Americans like, OK, if you make a million dollars, you're not hardworking. Almost nobody inherits their money. I think it's it's like it's under 10 percent, the number of of wealthy Americans who inherited their fortune. Yeah, Everybody else worked for it. It's Yeah, it's very low. I, I remember um, a stat of something of like tw- only 20% of um, rich uh, children, children who are r- the kids of a rich person and inherit a bunch of money, wind up remaining rich. And, yeah. And that's kind of an amazing thing. Yeah. and Because you don't appreciate it. Yeah, you don't appreciate it. And, and you, you squander mu- yeah, it a lot yeah, of times. Yeah. Well, it's kind of kind of interesting. By the way, that stat, uh, if, if, you, if you want, what, what are you, middle class, upper class, lower class? Yeah. 88% say they're middle class. Wow. Now, there's, some people wow. say they're upper middle, some people say they're lower middle, but in the middle class, only 12% consider themselves to be lower class, and only 1% consider themselves to be what upper class. What would you class. say? How would you answer that question? Uh, I would say lower class. Okay. Um, That's yeah. exactly right. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, say. I work with Jeffy. How could I right. possibly be upper class? Exactly right. You know? Kind of just... And you're certainly not middle. So. Oh, God, no. 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 I, you know, look, we talked about this before. Middle class, there's nothing wrong with being middle class. Um, you know, uh, I would say probably both of our uh, parents uh, were middle class. Um, mm-hmm. Not that we have the same parents, we're not brother, we're not brothers. <laughs> um, but I mean, both of our sets of parents would be considered middle class, I think. I think so. Um, you know, uh, if anything, lower middle class, maybe. Yeah. Um, if anything, um, and uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's 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 real. It's great. But I mean, I as a kid who grew up in a lower middle class to middle class uh, environment, mm-hmm. what I dreamed about was, I mean, I can tell you exactly what I dreamed about, and it was freaking Donald Trump. Because when I was a kid, I thought Donald Trump was awesome. And uh, yeah. I read his book, Art of the Deal, when I was like 12. I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. Uh, you know, all of his fancy stuff. And I thought it was really a cool thing that he did. I used to buy the exotic car magazines I, with Lamborghinis and Ferraris and Porsches. Mm-hmm. I love that. It didn't mean that it was the only thing I ever thought about. But that's what I aspired to. I wanted to someday have those things. Right. Um, and, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean that you achieve everything you want in your life. But we all are supposed to have goals to aspire to, not to settle on. Well, yeah. I mean, my, my parents worked really hard to be lower middle class. Mm. Really yeah. hard. Oh, yeah. My dad had two jobs. He worked for the phone company during the day. And then he had a janitorial job at night. That, you know, all the kids had to help him with when they were old enough. And so as I was the youngest, I got the longest uh, tenured in helping him uh, work his janitorial job, uh, bane of my existence. Uh, So what what was that like? Every night? Every night. Yeah, five or six days a week. Five or six days a week? down to the bank and clean it. Yeah. What? Really? Yeah. Wow, it's much. I have a much cushier life. And my mom worked at a hospital, so they they between the two of them, they had three jobs, and and I think the most they ever made during uh, during the course of a year was thirty thousand dollars. That's pretty lower middle class, I would say, even in the Mm seventies. And and they had to work that hard to get it. So yeah, you know, even growing up in that environment, I didn't aspire to. Well, I want to have the same thing my parents do. Yeah, maybe I'll only work two jobs. Yeah, maybe I'll only work two. Well, that'd be great. <laughs> I was, no, you, you aspire to make a lot of money and yes. hopefully make things easier for yourself and yes. your children. That's why it always nice offends things. me when Obama says, well, people aspire to the middle class. No, they don't. No, they, why would they? 
We're Americans. We aspire to more than that, yeah. don't we? I mean, nobody I says, fair. I want to work, I want to grow up, and I want to work really hard at two jobs and make just barely enough to make ends meet. Who says that? No. no. I mean, you know, it's not to say, you know... There's nothing wrong but, with it. No. But, but when you're dreaming, when you're aspiring, mm-hmm. it's something greater than what you, what you have around you. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, uh, I aspire to have a 1,500-square-foot uh, place and a 1969 Chevy Impala mm-hmm. my whole life. Right. No, no. that's not why what do, you aspire to. Why do people play the lottery? They play. Why do they, they go get to rich. casinos? Because they, they want to get, get rich. rich. Because it's, that's fun. You know, living that life is easier than it not. It takes away it. that one nuisance yeah. of how am I going to pay my bills? It's and it's a big nuisance. It's the thing you might spend most of your time dealing with. Exactly. Uh, how many relationships break up because money is a big issue? Yeah. Um, and it is. Uh, it's a it's a big issue in everybody's life. Survival is the first thing you got to get over. Um, once you get past survival, this is what we always talk about with uh, with you know um, countries like China when it comes to the climate. You don't care about the climate when you can't feed your own people. Right. It's a luxury right. to care about what the temperature is going to be in 100 years. Okay? That's, that's a luxury <laughs> product. Okay? The United really States is. can care about it and Europe can care about it because yeah. most of our people are fed and generally things are pretty good. In and, Africa, they're trying not to die of malaria. Right. And when you, when you care about that, all of a sudden, you know what? Uh, you know, I'm not going to put a solar panel up that's unreliable mm-hmm. and doesn't provide any power at night. Instead, I'm going to worry about fossil fuels and try to get that spread so we can have a, you know, a civilization here. Yeah. Now, something else that a lot of us aspire to, uh, especially middle-aged men, um, is being a six-year-old girl. And uh, somebody has reached those aspirations. (laughs) 52-year-old man who has reached his aspiration of becoming a six-year-old girl. We'll tell you about that coming up here in a second. More of the Pat and Stu Show on the way. All right. Uh, 888-727-BECK is our phone number. The holidays are here. And it's time to check out mancrates.com. Uh, today, we've got the uh, zombie apocalypse survival uh, thing here, although I will say, because yeah, last year, I got to choose the ones that they sent, and this one's an awesome one. I mean, I told you, this is, a, I mean, look at the high-quality items that they put in these uh, man crates. This is a, a machete. You know, you can always fend off the uh, the evil zombies, uh, as, of course, uh, Jeffy's pretty actually scared about this. He's scared about a zombie apocalypse. I was looking at uh, some of the other options last night. The one I, wanna, I really want to get is the um, uh, Moscow Mule crate. I'm becoming a big fan. I like the ginger beer quite a bit. They got a Moscow mule crate at mancrates.com. Anything, uh, whether it's a mini keg crate they've got, I've got a hunting crate, a whiskey connoisseur crate. Uh, They've got a retro video game crate, lots of cool snacks and video games in that one. Um, It's really just anything a guy you know likes. You're going to be able to find something at mancrates.com that gets them all sorts of cool stuff, and it comes in this great crate. It's going to be the talk of Christmas if you get them a man crate. That I can promise you. Go to mancrates.com slash stew for 10% off your order. Mancrates.com slash stew. Dozens and dozens of options. Go there now. Mancrates.com slash stew. Triple eight seven two seven Beck. It's Pat and Stu. Now there's been transgender, there's uh, transsexual, there's uh, gender fluid, there's uh, transracial now, uh, and uh, of course we can't forget transaged either. This is transaged as well as transsexual, right? Tra- transgender. 
Um, there's a 52-year-old Canadian father of seven mm. who now explains how he identifies. Uh, there he is when he was a he and a father of seven and uh, just a strapping man. And, and now he, he identifies as a six-year-old girl. Here he is talking about that. Stephanie Walsh, welcome to Daily Extra. You are one of the people profiled in the Transgender <laughs> Project web series and as well the TV show Am I a Boy or a Girl. Why did you decide to go so public with your story? Um, I paid a pretty heavy price for transitioning and so at a certain point I thought I've already lost everything and everything has happened. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be me and I'm going to show other people that it's okay to be feminine for a guy and so by coming completely out of the closet it just liberated me to the point where let's do this let's talk about it and let people this know this is not the is. notable thing about this guy 2007 when I actually stepped forward and started uh -huh. getting myself educated as to who I was and what this was yeah. uh, I was pretty naive but that naivete would quickly come to a crashing halt of course it at age 46 after 23 years of marriage and seven kids, Stephanie wow. realized she wasn't a crossdresser. She was transgender, a person whose gender is different than the sex they were assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. Assigned. Okay. Mm. I don't know if they kind of pick this up, but the part about this that's really uh, notable is not the transgender part. Right. He's six. It's the six-year-old part. Supposedly six years old. First of all, I will say, watching that clip, uh, unlike reading the quotes, I actually believe. No, he's, it's he's for real. Yeah, like he's being serious, not a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, not trying to make a point. Right. Um, but again, like if you're a six-year-old girl, why are you speaking as a man in the interview? Yeah, I, right. I, I, why are you talking like this? Right. Like I don't. I, I don't. I don't know. I guess I don't. Uh, there's more. Uh, it's part, part two. You can't deny he was married. Stephanie has moved on, okay. believing that she will never Stephanie. be accepted by her wife and children. Oh. These days, she's got a job plowing snow, and has a new family <laughs> made up of friends and a new relationship. There's days I forget As a six -year -old, my past. I can actually go a week without even thinking about what was before. Mm -hmm. That's nice for your kids. That's <laughs> great. I can't deny I was married. I can't deny I have children. But I've moved forward now, and I've gone back to um, being a child. I don't want to be an adult right now, and I just live my life right now. like I couldn't when I was in school. How are things in your life now? Well, I... Um, have a mummy and daddy, a, a adopted mummy and daddy, who are totally comfortable with me being a little girl, and their children and their grandchildren are totally supportive. In fact, her youngest granddaughter, when I was eight, a year ago I was eight, and she was seven, and she said to me, uh, I want you to be the little sister, so I'll be nine. I said, well, I don't mind going to six, so I've been six ever since. Oh, that's <laughs> but, a, uh, we have a great arrangement. And uh, we color, we do kid stuff. It's called sure. play therapy. Sure. No medication, no suicide thoughts. And I just get to play. He just gets to play. Isn't that wonderful? That is, that's beautiful. That's really special. That's special. I, that's we watch, we, we do a lot of segments. Whew. On the air, I don't think I've ever. That's uh, no, I've never seen it. I mean, like that. Yeah, again, like it does seem to be like this is a legitimate story. Uh, I think. However, it, is. it does seem to be that he's saying that 
he's acting as a child. Yeah. He, he's saying, like, he's like, I, well, right I want to be an eight-year-old now. I'm a six-year-old. Right it's not like, yeah, it's like right now. I, right now I want to be a kid. Which, again, you can act like a kid if you want to act like a kid, but no, it, it doesn't seem to be a legitimate argument that this is some no, predetermined... In the, past, in the past, people would have said, you know what, dude, grow up. Okay? Grow up and go face your responsibilities. You have seven mm. freaking kids yeah. and a wife. You wouldn't really pick go that up. Go deal with it. From the insp inspirational music they were no, playing No, you there. would not. But what, no, what he's not. saying when he says, I don't even remember what my life was like back then, is saying he's basically disowned his Doesn't children. Doesn't even think of his children. That's terrible. And, uh, what, I go a week some, Are without, we supposed to applaud yeah. that now? Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, I, are you serious? Forget that. The transgender part is not even part of the story. No. It's, it's the last thing in the world. First of all, if you're transgendered, I would assume, and I hate to think that, that they're making the case to the opposite, I would assume that you could still be respectful to your family. We're seeing that with mm. Caitlyn Jenner right mm -hmm. now, uh, who is not abandoning his family because he's gone through this. He's, he's going through it, and he still loves mm. his children. And he so, acts so, like, in this segment, he acts like they're the bad people. Yeah. Right? Well, I doubt that my wife and children will ever accept this. What, that you're a six-year-old girl? Probably not! <laughs> Since you're, I don't know, not a six-year-old girl! <laughs> Come on! And, and, like, what a strange focus of all the things going on with this guy. He's abandoned his family. He's Weird. living at six years old. But let's focus on the gender thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's the last, the least of the story. Uh, what an amazing, that's one of the more amazing things we've ever done on the show. And it, it just gets more amazing every week, doesn't it? I mean, there's something more bizarre all the time that we're there just supposed nothing, to swallow. There's nothing left to uh, use as a comparative example. Like yeah. back in the day, remember Rick Santorum got in trouble for saying, uh, uh, well, uh, gay marriage, what's next? Are you going to have, uh, um, you know, um, what was it, uh, two relatives marry or something like mm -hmm. that? But like we've seemingly crossed all the things that used to be offensive as barriers. Like if you were to say, like, uh, wait, a guy turned it into a girl, what's next? Is he going to live it as a six year old uh, girl? Or is he going to live as a, as a black woman, even though he's a black, he's, he's white man? All those things are crossed now. Like they're just yeah. like now. Yeah. That's another thing you're not allowed to say or, or 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 make. There's not an example to go to. And nothing's supposed to be weird. Everything's the most natural thing in the world. Oh, he wants to live as a as a six year old girl now. That's fine. That's wonderful. That's great. And he found a loving couple that will take him in and be comfortable with his six year old girlness. That is beautiful. Wow. And. He goes a week without thinking about his own former family. Well, mm. that's great, too. Everything's wonderful with him. It's mm. just really nice. And at, uh, at World of Two, Skip tweets, um, isn't employing a six-year-old girl to run your snowplow against child labor laws? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it is. That was the other thing. Yeah, because I was surprised he has a job. Wait, how many six-year-old girls drive snowplows? <laughs> <laughs> Not that many. I think thinking. Mr. Plow would cross that line. Uh, I think Gosh, you pretty much have to. Uh, so again, like yeah. uh, we're, they obviously don't. And I don't know how, what the right pronoun is, but like he doesn't obviously believe he's a six-year-old girl. He's no. saying he's, he's playing a he's role because yeah, I now. want to do it. Right. He, fe he feels like it. Which right is the now. exact opposite of what we're told these things are. Um, again, it was a, a gender was assigned to him. I, I guess an age wasn't. I don't know. I don't. I, I really. I don't even know how. To, I don't even know. I, 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 I'm completely speechless at that one. That one is. If that's if that's fake, that was well done. Oh, really? That's yeah, well it'd be done. a really good fake.
Uh, more Pat and Stu coming up. Wow. We might be 14-year-old teenage uh, sheep. By the way, Jeffy yeah. just texted me. He says he has an interesting website for those interested in that issue uh, <laughs> that he's going <laughs> to tell you about. It. Okay. Welcome back. Uh, I like this story. Lettuce. <laughs> Lettuce is three times worse than bacon for emissions. And <laughs> and vegetarian diets could be bad for the environment. Oh, man. I will say, oh, uh, as you may know, I'm a vegetarian, vegetarian. One of the world's only conservative vegetarians, as far mm -hmm. as I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a few others, I guess. But um, I have always held in deep shame one thing about it which was supposedly my diet was better for the planet <laughs> than the meat-eating diet mm -hmm. um, and um, sadly uh, I just hid that I just, it was a depressing fact now we know that's not true and I can finally say that I'm hurting the planet as well yeah they say eating a healthier diet rich in fruit and vegetables could actually be more harmful to the environment than consuming some meat <clears throat> according to a US study Lettuce is over three times worse in greenhouse gas emissions than eating bacon. <laughs> I just love this story. Published in the Environment Systems and Decisions Journal, the study goes against the grain of recent calls for humans to quit eating meat to curb climate change. Now, is, wasn't this something on which we also had consensus? Yep. Meat-eating diet, worst thing you can do. United Go to Nations. vegetarianism, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah, blah. Yep, UN. Another thing, not true. It's just amazing. Researchers uh, did not argue against the idea people should be eating less meat or the fact that livestock contribute an enormous uh, proportion of global emissions. But they found that eating only the recommended healthier foods, which are pre prescribed, increased a person's impact on the environment across all three factors, even when overall calorie intake was reduced. Of it's course. Amazing. You know, because it, it costs a lot to do the whole... Uh, you know, uh, local diet thing that everybody is so fond of now. Yeah, right? I mean, one of the things that um, uh, economies of scale accomplish is to make these things more efficient. You know, the, I mean, it's great if you can get something from your local farm. I certainly have no problem with you doing it. But, I mean, you, you, you know, the reason why things are less expensive that come from other countries is not because they're close. It's, mm -hmm. be <laughs> it's because of economies of scale. When you can have giant... Uh, farms that produce these things uh, in mass, uh, you wind up uh, doing things more efficiently. It's why, um, you know, the same logic goes with power plants. So your power plants, you know, a coal plant somewhere far away from you sometimes can do a much better job than your car because your car is a individual power plant for one thing. Here's a power plant where they can burn it all in the most efficient way possible and have very little waste. And, you know, the combustion engine is not nearly as efficient as a major power plant like that. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that's, that kind of makes a lot of sense. They say the experts examined how growing, processing, and transporting food, sales and service, and household storage and use take a toll on the environment for different foods. 
So there you go. Uh -huh. Now you people are the ones that are good for the environment. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> uh, all right. Also in uh, Britain, they did a, an interesting study. Um, it looks like uh, they, they wanted to find out who was the most derided group in society in Great Britain. And How do you define that? Is it like most insulted? or They were asked for their views on different groups of differing ages, genders, and ethnicities. And then they asked people to score the different groups on specific positive and negative criteria. Like <clears throat> how likely are they to be honest or intelligent or work hard, be polite, help others, be violent, travel without buying a ticket, take drugs, on and on. Sexual encounters, all of that. So the most praised demographic among the people that were studied uh, were white women in their 60s. And that was closely followed by a white man in his 60s. So those are the most admired. Uh, that was followed closely by a Chinese woman in her 40s, Chinese woman in her 60s, Jewish woman in her 40s, and a Jewish man in his 60s. The most derided groups white men in their 20s, black Caribbean men in their 20s, white woman in their 20s, white Australian man in his 20s, Pakistani-born man in his 20s, or a Polish-born man in their 20s. Yeah, interesting. And by the way, the white man in his 20s, by far the most derided. Um, so they came up with a score, I guess. Most, I, my guess is it's 0 to 100. I don't know exactly. Mm -hmm. But so 100 would be the best score. The best score was white women in their 60s with a 67 out of 100. Yep. Um, white men was 64 out of 100. A white, man, uh, a white man in his 60s was 64 out of 100. A white man in his 20s was 8 out of 100. Jeez. The next closest was a black Caribbean man in his 20s, and that was a 19. So 8 to 19, 11-point gap between those two. Very, very strange. I will say the one thing that people generally say here, more than, any, more than white or black, is they're saying young people, uh, they don't think, take responsibility, which, of course... Kind of seems to be the, yeah. the case here, right? Because it's a uh, white man in her 20s, black Caribbean man in her 20s, white woman in her 20s, yeah. white, an Australian man in his 20s, uh, Pakistani man in his 20s, Polish-born man in his 20s. Well, you do a lot of crazy crap when you're young. Yeah. Very true. What that's what I hear. Uh, that's when you do uh, lots of crazy stuff. And uh, you know, I was you... a nun when I was young, so I didn't do much crazy a stuff. A white female six-year-old yes. nun, we should point out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, but then I decided. Uh, well, you didn't decide. You I, were assigned. Yeah, I was assigned. Mm -hmm. And oh, I was assigned as a boy. Mm -hmm. But then I changed that assignment to a white nun who was six. <laughs> and then I reassigned myself to uh, being a, a natural man. That's such a sweet story. Isn't it nice? I mean, will That's that plot nice. be in the next Star Wars? No. We don't know. We, <laughs> but it's, but it's, uh, it seems like it's You put lovely. some music to that, mm. and it could be beautiful. It could mm. be absolutely beautiful. Meantime, uh, we told you yesterday we're going to talk about this dead millionaire who convinced dozens of women to have as many babies as possible. How did that happen? Uh, really interesting, actually. He's, a, he's a, um, a, a man from Canada a long time ago in the 1920s. Wait, there's millionaires in Canada? Apparently. Huh, Even with knew? their income equality. Who knew? Uh, no, this is a while ago, in the 20s. Because, um, I mean, you could have a million Canadian dollars. It would be about 85 cents American. That's <laughs> not even close to true <laughs> anymore. They, that was a joke that used to work and no longer does. What does that say <laughs> really about our doesn't. policies? Yeah. Um, so uh, this guy was like, kind of like a prankster. Um, he was a millionaire. And when he died, he wrote a will. And the will mm. was basically a bunch of jokes and to screw with people. So he had about $10 million, um, and he, what he did was he did things like 
he donated shares of a jockey club he owned um, to people who were against gambling. He donated um, a um, a brewery to um, religious leaders who wouldn't drink alcohol. Like um, Mormons. Potentially or, Mormons. Or Baptists. Yeah. Yeah. That would not drink alcohol. All right. Um, then, uh, which I, I like, they had another one. He had a house in Jamaica that he don- donated to um, three people who hated each other on the condition that they owned it together. <laughs> like, uh, he's just screwing with people, right? And did that happen? Did um, apparently, it? yes. Wow. The remainder of his fortune, though, $9 million, he would give away a decade later to the mother who has, since my death, given birth in Toronto to the greatest number of children as shown um, by the registrations under the Vital Statistics Act. So have as many kids as possible in 10 years, and if whoever has the most kids gets the $9 million. If there's a tie, they wow. split it. Now, that's a, obviously a, a way to... And it wound up, I guess, really screwing up a bunch of people's lives because they chased this goal... They were poor, obviously, or they wouldn't do this because mm-hmm. they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't want the money bad enough. Um, so they were uh, poor, and then they wound up without the millions of dollars and eight or ten kids, which is problematic. Um, so the ten years is up now. Oh yeah, much. It's been up for a long time. Let's see if and I can find the exact winner here. Who won? And it, 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 um, but they actually got the nine million. Let's see. Um, Ten years after Miller's death, 32 lawyers showed up to an initial hearing to claim a share of the fortune for the families they represented. After some record scanning, um, the presiding judge cleared out everyone who didn't have at least nine kids younger than ten. Okay, so that was the number. Left six families. Some mothers who had more than nine kids still weren't allowed a shot at the prize. Why? Um, uh, One woman had ten children within the timeline, the first five with her former husband and the second five with a different man, one she lived with after her separation from her husband. Um, Children, uh, in his judgment he wrote, um, always means legitimate children. This is a different age, isn't it? Yeah. Um, And so he he didn't get anything. Instead of nine million, Clark was given a settlement of just over 200,000, actually. And that came after a a lengthy lawsuit, especially in the 20s or 30s. Um, the Kenny family uh, eventually settled for the same amount uh, that Clark did. Although Lillian Kenny um, gave birth to 11 children, her claim was dismissed on the grounds that three of the babies were stillborn. Jeez. A, uh, mm. a child born dead is not in truth a child, Middleton wrote. Ooh, I disagree with that one. Um, mm. Four other families with nine young children um, each awarded the equivalent of about $2 million. Uh, while she was in the midst of the, uh, they called it the um, the baby derby or uh, the stork derby, they called it. Um, one of the families uh, took a moment, um, said that uh, raising a big family isn't easy, um, uh, and blah, 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 blah. So there you go. Two million, four families got $2 million, and the rest of them kind of split it up for various lawsuits and such. Uh, but kind of an interesting thing. And, and, and I guess w- mm. one of the big stories, this is from 538.com if you want to read it. Maybe we can tweet it out from uh, our at Pat and Stu account. Um, but... The interesting story um, kind of goes through how the chase of this goal to win was really devastating to a lot of people because they got halfway down this road, they got five, six, seven kids, uh, didn't win any money, and then were poor families with a lot of kids, which, you know, that's not always a, the best yeah, combination. probably not. Yeah. Probably not. All right, 888 back. More patents to us, you know, inevitable. Oh, Jesus. It's going to happen. What are you going to do? We've got to show you this on the other side of what the press did when the Paris Climate Agreement happened. You're not going to believe this footage. Back in a second.
Uh, maybe I'm overstating this. Uh, I told Pat off the air that mm. this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen from journalists. Wow, that's pretty, that's big. The most biased thing I've ever seen in video of journalists before. Uh, should we see it? And then Here we'll we go. Set. Let me give you the setup first. All right. What's the setup? Paris Climate Accord. Paris Climate Accord. This is a video taken by video taken uh, by? an economist okay. journalist, a journalist from The Economist, yep. celebrating. Um, she tweeted out, uh, watching the Paris Agreement close with other journalists, um, um, and then she compared it to watching the suspense of a major soccer match between England and Brazil. Uh, so the mo moment of truth arrives, representative announced the deal had passed. Mm -hmm. Let's watch this video. Wow. wow. They're jumping around like maniacs. Give me it one more time. This is, I, I cannot believe this. That is Watch the beginning. Look at the people up at the front of this. The front of the room. Jumping up and down. Look at... I mean... This is a room of journalists? Uh, if that doesn't show you bias in the media, especially on the climate change bullcrap. Holy crap. Jeez, man. I mean. That's amazing. They're supposed to be. Amazing. Uh, uh, unbiased observers. Yeah. Of uh, yeah. news events. That's supposed to be what a journalist is. <laughs> that is incredible. You think they're which. invested in the climate change thing? Yeah, I know. And when, you, when they say. Wow. When you read these uh, unbiased uh, reports, remember that footage. Because uh, not only, and this is the thing that I think you can't focus on enough. Not only do you see footage of journalists jumping up and down as if they just won Justin Bieber tickets or something um, at a climate accord announcement. This isn't hidden video that the Blaze had because they were sitting in the back of the room. This was tweeted out by one of the journalists. They admitted unashamedly. this. Unashamedly. Excitedly mm -hmm. that this is what they wanted. Yeah. That is incredible. You can't trust a word these people say on Not climate change. Not you can't. How can or, you? Or any other left-wing cause, for that yeah, matter. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. I mean, this is, in, uh, this is so typical of... And the economist is the one of the more balanced ones, yeah. honestly. Yeah. They're not even the worst of the bunch. Really amazing. 888-727-BECK, also from Mental Floss. Here's some original re reviews on uh, some of your our favorite uh, Christmas classic movies. Um... Like, number one, Elf. Elf was actually... Would you expect that to be well-reviewed or not? Kind of no. Yeah, would, you would, would expect say. probably it's a Will Ferrell movie. They probably hated it. Unexpectedly, Roger Ebert actually really liked it. And nobody was more surprised by that than him. He said, if I, if I were to tell you, Elf stars Will Ferrell as a human named Buddy who thinks he's an elf, and Ed Asner as Santa Claus... Would you feel an urgent desire to see this film? <laughs> Neither did I. I thought it'd be clunky, stupid, and obvious like Santa Claus 2 or How the Grinch Stole Christmas, both of which I happen to like, actually. It would have, uh, it, it would have, it would have grotesque special effects and lumber about in the wreckage of holiday cheer, foisting upon us a chaste romance involving the only girl in America who doesn't know that a man who thinks he's an elf is by definition a pervert. That's what I thought it would be took me about 10 seconds of seeing Will Ferrell in the costume to realize how very wrong I was. This is one of those rare Christmas comedies that has a heart, a brain, and a wicked sense of humor, and it charms the socks right off the mantelpiece. That's kind of fun. So Ebert, at least, liked Elf. 
And that, we were just discussing this a few minutes ago. I, that is probably the last movie that has come out, the most recent movie that's come out that I consider a Christmas classic. Yeah, I was trying to think of and any other options. Um, the only other one we came up that could potentially be an option, and it's not a Christmas classic to me, would be the Polar Express, maybe? Yeah, which I, I like, but it's not, it's not a must-see. Me. Yeah, I mean, uh, can, there's got to be something that we're missing. To it. We need to look at this. Uh, we need to look at this list. Yeah, there's we'll got to be. In, there's got to be one. Take that into account. Um, next up, a Home Alone. Um, uh, Ebert wrote, "The plot is so implausible that it makes it hard for us to really care about the plight of the kid." Thank you. What works in the other direction, however, and almost carries the day is the gifted performance by young Macaulay Culkin as Kevin. He's so confident and gifted little actor that I'd like to see him in a story that I could actually care about. Yeah, I, I hated that movie. I mean, I didn't hate it. I just didn't like it. I, I, I liked it, but it and wasn't. It's not a Christmas favorites. movie. There's nothing. I mean, it's it not just a happens Christmas at Christmas, movie. right? I guess it happens around Christmas. I guess so. I was really surprised to see it start to be played on uh, Thanksgiving every year, or Thanksgiving night, or the night after, or whatever. I think it was NBC or somebody started picking that up and playing it every year, and then it sort of became a Christmas movie. Uh, number three, It's a Wonderful Life. Seems that Jimmy Stewart Donna Reed classic was beloved from the start. Now, a lot of times you'll hear, well, critics hated this at the, at the beginning and it was a massive flop. Variety was actually positive and uh, they reviewed the film on December 18, 1946, saying, It's a Wonderful Life will enjoy just that at the box office and eminently deserves to do so. In the wake of billowing Ballyhoo, which has preceded the first entry from Liberty Films, We'll come a re-emerging word of mouth to accelerate the worrying theater tickets. Anyway, they, they liked it a lot. Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Um, the screenplay for the movie by John Hughes makes no pretense of being other, anything other than a disjointed collection of running gags. If it weren't for a calendar that marks the approach to Christmas Day, the film would have no forward momentum at all. The film looks so tacky with what flimsy props and occasionally blurry cinematography, which may very well be true. Uh, and the direction by uh, whoever it was uh, displays the comic timing that is uncertain at best. I love that movie. It's a classic uh, to me for Christmas. That's one of the three movies I watch every Christmas, yeah. um, including uh, a, uh, the third one besides Elf and uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation would be A Christmas Story, which I will watch all day. Yeah, which I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that one at all. But uh, number five here, Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, apparently executives didn't like the show. Uh, they didn't like Linus reciting the Bible verses even back then in 1965. Uh, but, of course, it turns out they were wrong about it, and it's been a holiday chestnut ever since, what, 50 years? Hmm. Yeah, we just celebrated the 50th anniversary with the Obamas talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.